Charlie Chaplin said, a day without laughter is a day wasted. You're going to love my next guest. He's a very successful stand-up comedian, and he's also a very successful law enforcement professional. Vinny Montez stopped by the studio. You're going to love this episode next on the CJ Evolution Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Patrick here. Thank you for tuning in. I know you got many options out there, but you tuning in, sharing it with your family and friends, that's why this podcast continues to grow. Big shout out to the brave men and women out there protecting this great country, your communities every day. We salute you. Thank you so much for what you do. You have much support. You know, my good friend Jared Hardy is doing amazing work with law enforcement officers everywhere. Team Hardy Ground Tactics course is designed by law enforcement for law enforcement. This world-class program is designed to meet the challenges of today's law enforcement world. Limited training time, injury prevention, policy and procedure compliance all affect how and what we can train. This tactical program certifies your officers in how to perform, teach and correct their students in a safe, challenging, and confidence-building environment. No more ground fighting or setting our officers up for failure. Head over to teamhardy.net. Again, teamhardy.net and see what Jared and his amazing team can do for your organization. Such an honor and privilege to be partnered with Detecticam. This great company is protecting our brave men and women who protect us every day. Mobile threat detection is now available for the palm of your hand, detecting illicit drugs and explosives. If you head over to cjevolution.com, click on the link to Detecticam, see what they can do for your organization. You will not be disappointed. On to the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. I am super excited to have my next guest on the show. I've known this guy for a long time and he's my friend and he's also a very funny guy Vinny Montez Vinny welcome brother hey what's up how you guys doing (laughs) well thank you for being here man and uh I've known you for many years but for those people out there who don't know Vinny Montez you got to be living under a rock for one Vinny who are you brother um Vinny Montez (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I've been a cop for the last 21 years um I'm a stand-up comedian when I'm not copping and uh as of late, I've been traveling a lot, doing shows all over the country, so it's been pretty crazy, pretty busy. Yep. You know, and it's funny because I said, uh, you know, we've known each other. I remember when you were a deputy, I was a patrol officer. Yeah. We worked for different agencies. I worked for Louisville Police. You worked for Boulder County. But what I always ask Leo's on the show, because uh, you're still full-time, you're a full-time law enforcement officer yep. in Boulder County, uh, recently promoted to commander, so congratulations. I know I commanded... I, congratulated you before but again congratulations thanks <laughs> but what was the catalyst man what what got you into law enforcement um so <clears throat> i guess one of my first um and most vivid memories was when i was a pretty young kid i don't know like five six seven and uh chips would come on Ponch and john would come <laughs> on and i would just start running around the house because it had the theme song did you have the bike too no man i didn't have anything but like I, I kind of related to, like, well, a couple things excited me. Like, you know, they did the, like, close-ups of all the uniform stuff. And I was like, I, I don't know what attracted me. But then, you know, Poncharello, uh, he's Latino, you know. I don't know I don't know if he was, like, playing, portraying Mexican or <laughs> Cuban or whatever it was there. But it was a Latino, and he used Spanish a couple times. 
And they would always like, there was like a moral to the story about what they were doing. And they tried to do what was right all the time. And I really didn't reflect on this until much later on, but um, they would, uh, they wouldn't pull their guns. If you think about that way back then, they wouldn't pull their guns a whole lot. I remember that. But uh, they always had somebody who was doing some kind of mischief or they were trying to help each other. And I just um, fell in love with that. So I was like, I'm going to be a cop. And uh, I started by joining the Lafayette Police Explorer Post when I was 14 years old. So that was like in 1990. And I just knew I wanted to be it. So I joined that post and I started with them. I wanted to be with the sheriff's office because I'm a Boulder kid. Everybody thought I went to Centaurus because I joined Lafayette. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Boulder kid. And then uh, luckily I was able to come on the sheriff's office at 16 as an explorer in 92. And uh, that was kind of the intro for me into law enforcement. And when I was riding along with the officers, I was like, <laughs> this is it. I want to do this. <laughs> And I know you risen to the ranks. You were a, a road deputy for many years, and you were a supervisor. You were a detective, too. Yes, yep. And then, you know, you were a sergeant, and then you got promoted to, to commander. <clears throat> right, right. Now, how is that role as commander? I've been there before, and I know it's kind of one of those tedious roles, And but how is it – what's your what's your take on that? You I know, know you're very successful at what you do. I It's, it's great. Um, it has its moments, though, yeah. because – Everything at the level of commander is just relationships, yeah. you know. Um, I think that's – if somebody says, well, what, what do you think – what makes you successful in what you do? At this level especially, it's all the time that I spent, you know. I never was shy getting to know people. I always, you know, took the time. I love to talk smack with the fellow deputies or officers from other agencies. <laughs> you know, talk shop and just, you know, be interactive. So – not only do you and I have a relationship that's long existing, you know, pre-existing, it's, it's that way for me throughout the entire County, no matter if it's Longmont or the university of Colorado, Boulder PD, whoever it is, I got relationships everywhere. So anytime I would need something or need to get a task done or a project, I knew exactly who to reach out to. Sure. And that, that's been my personality for my whole life. I've, I don't, I'm not embarrassed easy and I don't mind putting myself out there and, a lot of people, some people, well, I shouldn't say a lot of people, some people are taken aback by that. They're like, this kid, man, especially, <laughs> I'm not a kid anymore, but they, this dude, he is just out there sometimes. And I am, I'm really gregarious. I've really got a, a really um, big personality. When I walk into a room, like, people are like, geez, some people are, that, are like introverts. They're like, yeah, yeah. can somebody please give me a rest time? Can I go in a corner somewhere? Because this guy is exhausting. Um, but that's who I am. And it's it has its pros and cons because you, you can get some stuff done. But sometimes people are just, they don't know how to take you when you're just yeah. this, uh, you know, gregarious and outgoing. Now, I want to get into what you're doing with comedy. But first, Vinny, you've been around for a long time as a Vi, and I talk about a lot uh, of what am I going to ask you uh, on the show. But you've been around a long time. Again, what do you think some of the, the challenges for law enforcement are going to be in the future? We all see the news, mm-hmm. and I'm the first to believe and maybe i'm just naive i'd love to hear your take i don't think that's reflective on the majority of people out in the country i think a lot of people you know i always say a lot of people i believe maybe i'm just naive um respect law enforcement i wish they were more vocal but we face a lot of challenges uh in law enforcement as we go forward what do do you think some of those challenges are going to be i think some of the challenges are going to be i think this segues into my comedy when i got into comedy yeah when I first got into law enforcement, um, even as a cadet, I think there was a lot of compartmentalization that was going on. So, like, I think the cops of the older school were more like, you know, we go and see things, you know, we deal with it, we're cops, and 
we're some kind of special breed that can compartmentalize and we just we can see what we see do what we do and it necessarily isn't going to have any um effects later on Mm -hmm. and i can tell you i'm living proof that um that mentality has got has it still exists in some areas and some groups and cops are very reluctant to um ask for help because we are the people who are you know we're often referred to as the sheepdogs but people are reluctant for asking for help or saying that they're having struggles, whether it be with alcohol or substance abuse or any type of other um, issues that are going on. And I will tell you right now, um, the catalyst for me getting into comedy was my own mental health issues that I was mm-hmm. struggling with. Um, and I, I've been more open in the last few years than I've ever been. I think the comedy has been the perfect Thera- vessel. Yeah. Yep. And I think that we are going to have to get more, um, open and more apt to encouraging those young officers to be more expressive and talk about those things and, and creating a culture where it's okay to say, you know what, that really bothered me because I think some cops and some agencies that don't have things like our agency where, you know, our sheriff is really proactive trying to get us to, you know, read emotional survival for police officers by Dr. Kevin Gilmartin mm-hmm going to a lot of stuff that, you know, providing not only just, it's not good enough to provide EAP today. You got to have people that are, you're doing therapy with and mental health counseling that understand truly what law enforcement um, members and EMS personnel are dealing with. You know, Dr. Jamie Brower is a really good example of somebody Mm -hmm. who I've uh, not only talked to on a professional basis, but I've seen some of her people um, over the course of my career even independently of the department, just to process some of the things that I've dealt with. And uh, I think that's something that we're going to have to really pay attention to. And you're like, well, aren't we already doing that? And here's, here's where I'm, I don't know if people are going to agree with me. I'm going to get on my soapbox for a second for, so for all the Subaru drivers that are listening to this, don't get all offended. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One of the things that I realized, and this is my perspective, I'm not speaking for my agency. This is simply my perspective, Mm -hmm. humbly is our country and our society, and I'm not a political person, but I'm just going to say this. We've raised a generation of kids who are, in my humble opinion, do not have a lot of good coping skills. Mm -hmm. Uh, Over the last uh, five years or more, I've seen a lot of uh, calls that were going on that require us to, you know, intercede in problems where parents can't put their kid to sleep and they're, you know, the kids aren't even able to form a mental culpable state. They're younger than 10 years old. Um, younger people having, you know, despondent issues, um, suicidal. Uh, <clears throat> and what I say that is um, I think that the coping skills are lacking. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you can't get in a fight in school anymore. You get in a fight in school, you get booted out right away or on suspension. So all the things that you and I grew up with, I, I mean, I'll be honest, I got in fights when I was growing up. Yeah, I did too. And uh, I turned out okay, but it was part of, you know, this whole, um, and I don't want to say it's generational, but kind of is. The other part to it is uh, simply that um, our kids are have short, I don't have kids personally, but I deal, and yeah, I yeah. see a lot of what goes on in life with what we see on the street. Um, the younger generation is constantly having um, something change in front of them. They got a phone, and it's instant entertainment. They don't have to think as much anymore, and they like I, I ran our Explorer program up until recently, uh, you know, kids break up with other kids via text message. 
And that floors me because, like, they don't really understand what that feels like, mm-hmm. standing in front of somebody and going, look, it's not you, it's me, you know, I can't yeah, yeah. do this. And I think that there's something to be said about that, having to go through those experiences, having that interpersonal communication. I and I think that's one of the things we're also seeing now is uh, people struggle with having those communication skills and being able to read people where, and this is me on my soapbox again, I think that 10 years from now, <clears throat> because it requires so much of us to, you know, they can't have any dope smoking, which, you know, in Colorado it's legal. So, you know, somebody walks through the door and they've got that previous experience or you have to have such a sanitized background. You bring a knife to school accidentally, whatever that is. Those are crazy issues that now affect who we can hire as cops. Mm -hmm. And so now I think that that's becoming a bigger issue. Uh, Shortly down the road, everybody's so sanitized, like these perfect backgrounds, right? Meanwhile, the other side of the fence is still going to jail, juvenile hall. They're able to read situations and survive. I'm wondering how that's going to play out for the future law enforcement officer that comes in starting maybe now up until maybe 10 years from now. And that same person who's been going through the system and learning those skill sets of reading situations, manipulation, Mm -hmm. how is that going to play out in the field for those contacts those officers are going to have and not having been brought up with the interpersonal communication skills that are necessary to do this job. Mm -hmm. And I really, I've experienced that, uh, seeing some of the people I've heard from some of the other agencies that are around us. They, people have a hard time talking to people. So I think those are some of the things that are going to combat us. I would say the mental health and then, you know, being able to have those communication skills. So technology is great, but there's also the other side of it that's like, wow, what are we giving and taking for that? I mean, because how many times have you asked a person of today's generation, their phone runs out, you're on a contact with them, and you're like, hey, call your parents. And they're like, I I don't know how. And What do you mean (laughs) you don't know how? Well, I don't know the number. It's in my phone. Um, Well... (laughs) What happens when the electric magnetic pulse comes in and wipes out, you know, everything yeah, you're going to yeah. be like, I can't call my mom. I don't know what's going on. You yeah. Know? Well, I remember, and you know, Vinny, I mean, being a little bit older, you know, I mean, you and I, when we first started this job, you know, talking about technology for a minute, we, we didn't have computers in our cars. We didn't have all that stuff. <clears throat> and you actually, cops are still out there talking to people, but we, we were so, we weren't so, um, um, dependent on technology like we are now. Oh, absolutely. Um, but I agree with you. I think, you know, that's definitely going to be a challenge uh, in the future with future law enforcement. And the very fact, and you, you read the news, <laughs> you see it, the fact that people aren't flocking to law enforcement like they were uh, years in years past when you and I right. first got on. I mean, th- you'd have a job and you know there'd be 100, <clears throat> 100, 200 people there for one job. And a lot of that, I think, is due to the environment, um, which I think is unfair to police a lot. Some of it is deserved, but I think a lot of it isn't. So I think, yeah, retention, or not retention, but recruitment. And yeah, well, retention too is going to be a problem in the future. Yeah, I think uh, I I think it already is. We're, we've constantly been, you know, spots that are vacant. And, you know, you got agencies that are putting out signing bonuses now for coming on uh, with a certain agency. It, whatever the marketing tool is, the economy is good right now. So it, it seemed to me over the course of the time that I've been a cop that when the economy is not good, the government jobs are the good ones because those tend not to get cut. Sure. Um, and we've been fortunate where I work that we haven't had to cut anybody even during downturns. Uh, yeah, I think that's going to be a real tough thing. And I think with everything you see in social media, back when we were officers, you know, young deputies or, you know, in your case, an officer, we 
everything we did wasn't in plain view of everybody else. So now you have, um, you know, and I don't want to get too optopic, but you got people that intentionally go out there to film sure. cops to see if there's any nefarious activity going on. And the minute that any mistake is made, it is put up on the internet as, you know, this cop is a rogue cop. And I'm going to tell you right now, <clears throat> I made a lot of mistakes coming up as a cop. Mm-hmm. As uh, did I. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like some some serious mistakes and some not so serious mistakes. But a lot of time it was a sergeant or senior officer putting a boot in my ass mm-hmm. telling me, hey, this is not how we do it. You know, this is the policy. This is what we're supposed to do. And the only way to become a really good cop is because it's such a gray area, what we do with discretion is learning through those mistakes, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some that you can't come back from, you know, sure, sure. you know, but you all know that. But there's the only way to really cut your teeth and learn and get good experiences by going out there and making some decisions and whether good or bad, you know, you make some bad ones, you learn from them. And now you got some dents in your armor that remind you of where you need to go in the future. Yeah. And um, so that's what I think about. Sometimes I see a cop make a mistake and immediately I kind of think back to, well, how long has this person been a cop, you know, and, you know, I is this truly the way it would have played out with a little bit of coaching and maybe some better training? And I'll tell you one thing is our agency, God bless the uh, ability that we have. We have a lot of training and I Mm -hmm. see a lot of, we hire a lot of people with previous experience in other agencies, what we call laterals. And um, it's amazing. You hear them talk about, man, the training you guys get here at this agency is second to none because Mm -hmm. a lot of people, they qualify once or twice a year. You know, we're shooting almost every month or every other month. Uh, doing really, really good stuff and training. And I just think that people don't take that all into consideration. There's some cops out there that are making, you know, a third or even less than a third of what some of our officers make, and they're supporting a family on it. So not all agencies are paying very well. Yeah, that's a tough thing, like I said, and it's hard for agencies, and you hit it. To, to get those good people throughout the door. And my, my, and I don't know what your take is, Vinny, on this, but do you think departments, and I hope not, but I, do you think that they're going to start lowering their standards to get the, I hope they don't, don't do that, uh, to get the people through the door? Well, I would have hoped that the military didn't lower their standards. <laughs> um, but from what I heard, I've got a lot of friends that are in um, the military. Um, one of my good friends, Sam Hard, he's a sergeant in our agency. His son just graduated boot camp in uh, mm-hmm. Georgia, Fort Benning, I think it is. And he's told me they have dropped a lot of the standards. Um, and I was watching some news or some reading some article I can't remember a while back about, you know, even the PT standards are having to drop um, in some cases yeah, just because of, yeah. you know, they can't get the proper amount of people. Uh, you know what? I think that's a scary thought. And I think one of the first things that is going to come to mind is the use of marijuana, for example, yeah. or other substances and lowering that standard of how long, you know, go, do they use it? Um, I heard something, I don't know if it's accurate or not, but we can't, I don't know if, we as an agency or just in general uh, can't consider uh, that information. And, and I, I, sh- I probably shouldn't speak on it, but something that I re- heard recently was just kind of shocking that w- as to when we can count somebody as having quit or we can, when we can require them because they may not be employed with us at the time. Mm-hmm. So I'm not certain what that is, but there, uh, some of the stuff I was, the discussions I was listening to, I was like, man, this is kind of yeah. going to be in some uncharted territory. It's definitely going to be a challenge in the future. But I, like law enforcement, you know, it's resilient. Then you've been doing it a long time. We'll weather the storm. Right, right. You know, get it goes, it. It's cyclical. Yeah, it's cyclical. Hill, you know, valleys and, and peaks, and, and I'm sure we'll be, fun. at least I hope, you know, law enforcement's going to be fine. 
uh, in the future. But I want to talk about your comedy, brother, because yeah. you you are you are killing it out there. I follow you on Instagram. For anybody who doesn't know who Vinny Montez is, doesn't follow him. He's huge, man. You are crushing it with your comedy. And, and what and what was the catalyst, man? Because I got to tell you, man, I got to tell you, brother, it takes a special kind of person, and you even said that you're a presence when you come in the room. But kudos to you, brother, to get in front of people because it takes a special kind of person to do that. But you've been doing it a long time, and you've been crushing it. What was the catalyst that got you into it? So um, I'll go back to the sheriff. So he wasn't like the catalyst. He just was kind of something that kind of was hitting me right in the middle of the head. He, you know, at one point during my career, once he came on, gosh, I want to say the sheriff came on in like 2002. And uh, shortly after that, I was one of those guys who was like working every day. Like I could not get enough being cop. Like I would literally look at the clock on the <laughs> dashboard of the car and I'd be like, I only have nine hours left. And that's crazy because most senior guys are like, uh, yeah, are, yeah, we done dude, are we done yet? You know, they're like, and they're like, please don't give me a call 30 minutes and to watch, you know, they're just dying to get out of there. And, and, and I'm kind of that way too now. Like I'm excited to go home when I get to go home, Yeah. but I was not that person. I was so overzealous. I, I couldn't get enough of it. And the sheriff, you know, he was like, look, he pulled me aside one day and he's like, look, man, you need to like find something else to do. <laughs> your, just being for your energy, man. Yeah. He's like, you're going to burn out. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And this is what I talk about. Uh, and, and I say baby cops. I only say baby cops because I mean they're new um, it, versus the seasoned vet. When you're new, you just like you're idealistic, and that's not a bad thing to be. But you think you're going to go out there and you're going to crush the world and save it, and it's not like that's a bad thing. We we, we want people like that because sure. we need them. Um, but I certainly was like, <laughs> I'm going to go out there and do everything I can. And so he sits me down one day and he's like chatting with me. He's like, Look, dude, you're going to burn out. You need to read this book, Emotional Survival for Police Officers. And I'm like, man, what are you talking about? I'm not going to burn out. I'm your man, dude. I'm your go-to. And he's like, you're the most susceptible to burning out. Well, here's a twenty early 20-some-year-old kid um, who has a sheriff telling him this, and I'm just kind of a, basically oblivious to it. I'm like, what are you talking about? Because I'm from my perspective. Yeah, yeah. I don't have the decades of experience Parents, that he yeah. has going through this job. And so I'm like, I'm good. And uh, I continue at the rate that I was – burning both it people would routinely tell me man look you're burning the candle at both ends you're going to pay for it later on and of course i knew better being the young cop that i was and uh you know i went through being on patrol and then i was a dui officer and then detectives for property crime which was the worst job i've ever had in my entire <laughs> life <laughs> and then uh i went to narcs and i worked there which was a blast and then um while i was in narcs uh i'd taken a night off um I was going up Boulder Canyon and uh, in two thousand. So the, before this, in 2007, I dabbled in comedy with a, like an open mic performance mm -hmm. at Comedy Works. Two minutes. It took forever to get that spot. And then uh, early 2008, the wintertime, uh, I'm going to play poker up in the hills. And I love to play poker. And I go up this. And anybody who's ever spent any time around me, I am a magnet. Like, if there's something that's going to happen, you know this. When I'm working... <laughs> Like you could stop a we, car. We call that a shit magnet, yeah, folks. Yeah, we call that a shit magnet. You could stop a car, and then it would there would be nothing wrong in that car, and then it'd go down the road, it'd stop off somewhere, and then I'd stop that car twenty minutes later, and there would be like three warrants, you know, a pound of coke, and you know, a dog that's being abused in the back seat. So <laughs> that's not funny, by the way. That's not just... funny. Yes, but I'm just saying that is yeah. that's the kind of life that I've led. Yeah, yeah. So. 
I'm driving up Boulder Canyon, close to Boulder Falls, and this young lady runs into the middle of the road. She flags me down. She's like, there's been an accident. And I get out. Um, I was an undercover narcotics detective at the time. I had my weapon with me, my credentials, but I looked like kind of a dirtbag myself because I was, <laughs> you know how yeah, the yeah, narc yeah. guys are. So I go up, and there's this kid that's in the driver's seat, and he's got the agonal breathing going on. And I'm like, oh, man, this is not good. So we flag people down. In the canyon, there's no cell phone service sure. in the, where the narrows are there. And uh, the kid stops breathing at one point. <clears throat> so I he's up against the wall. The, the wall of the canyon's on the driver's side where he's at. And the passenger seat, I get into the front passenger seat, and I pull his back against my chest. And I'm going to drag him out the drive, or the passenger door along the north side of the road. And his feet are getting tangled up uh, underneath the steering wheel because he's just this tall, lanky kid. Mm-hmm. So I yell to go over and pull his feet out to this lady. And she goes over and she does everything about what I tell her not to do. And I'm like, this kid's not breathing. And then she hits me with something that I just, I wasn't expecting. And she's like, I got to find the gun. And um, I'm like, I had told everybody I was an off-duty cop at that point. And so, um, you know, a lot went through my mind, but very rapidly, I was like, what did I get myself into that I've identified myself? And why would these young kids have a gun, you know? Mm -hmm. So it was either stop and play where's the gun or continue and help this kid, which is what I wanted to do. So I remember yelling out, I'm like, I don't, I don't give an expletive where this gun's at, you know, um, stop thinking about that. Help me get this kid out. So the other guy went and pushed her out of the way. Uh, I pulled this kid out lay him down. Um, shortly thereafter, my one of the other deputies got there from the 911 calls, and it was Clay Leak. He's now a sergeant. And uh, we start working on this kid, and, of course, um, I get respirations. Not that I'm complaining about it, but I've got a his track record with this um, stuff in the, in the past. And uh, this is pretty dark, uh, but uh, that's where a lot of my comedy comes from. Mm-hmm. So we're working on this kid, and, unusually, you know, when you do compressions, you know, Clay's doing compressions on this kid, eventually blood starts coming out of his mouth. And that's not a normal thing during CPR. And it just kind of gets more. And we kind of tilted him on his side a couple times and clearing his airway. And it just was not good. Um, so we worked him for quite a while. We put the AD on him. And then finally paramedics got there and took over. Uh, then I was a detective. Uh, one of my good friends, Jason, who is now a commander, was a sergeant then. Mm-hmm. He pulls me to the side and uh, he puts me in his Tahoe, um, and there was a brand-new Starbucks in the center console, and it wasn't mine, but I was just like, I couldn't get any more blood on me or whatever. I just, you know, I'm covered in it. Sure. So I take his Starbucks, and I start drinking it, and uh, I start crying, and uh, not just crying, but, like, just overwhelming emotions just pouring out of me, and I'd never experienced anything like that uh, before, you know, mm-hmm. And I didn't understand it, and it, quite frankly, it scared me um, because I was, I was like, "What's going on?" I don't, I didn't understand. This is a weird reaction. I'd been on much worse scenes mm-hmm. than this um, up to that point. And uh, basically, what had happened is what the sheriff had told me early on in my career. I hit this wall, and over the course of my career, I've learned now that um, all of us come into this job with basically a big chalice, and when we're young and we're just working and doing all this stuff, we're taking everything in. There's a lot of capacity to put into that cup uh, before it reaches the brim and overflows. And if you're not actively doing something along the way to empty that glass or that chalice, 
eventually you're going to hit the point where it's going to overflow. Mm-hmm. And I was doing a poor job of maintaining my mental health. I was just so much, my cop, my identity was cop, cop, cop. Mm-hmm. And slowly my Vinny, Vinny, Vinny hit, you know, my real true personality was kind of diminished down to this cop personality. And I had no coping mechanisms in place to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Quite frankly, I was in a bad space. So um, that haunted me for a long time, that whole incident with that kid. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I just got to do something different. So I start writing. And uh, I was really nervous when I went down to Comedy Works for the first time. And I'd done that in 2007. They liked what I did for the two minutes. I talked about being from Boulder. And um, the next thing you know, they invited me into their new talent program. So I started doing that and uh, writing and meeting with some of the other comedians. I built a lot of friendships up. And slowly, um, over the course of time, I was getting more sets and moving up through their ranks. And when you're in their new talent program, Wendy Curtis, she's always telling you go out there and um, De- Deacon Gray, who just passed away about within the last year, he ran the new talent program, and he was one of the best comedians I've ever been around. Um, he was a big mentor to us and gave us notes about the stuff that we would do, and this doesn't work, and he was very blunt. So it felt like I was with a sergeant, but just in a different <laughs> setting. And he would just tell you, like, you know, he'd set the rule ground rules like kind of sergeants do. And uh, things start working out well for me where I, I started getting better and better. And then in 2011, um, the big thing you fight for when you're a new comic is stage time because you need, not only do you need good material, but you need to, the material we call it to be refined and you got a tight. In the business, we call it tight material. So if you ask a comic, hey, how much time can you do tight? That means how much good material can you do without stopping and having a good set, mm-hmm. which is a show. Uh, and you know, when you first start, you're like, I got a tight three, I got a tight four, I got a tight five. And now I got a tight hour plus. Right. But it's taken these years to build that up. And one of the things that happened is there's some cops in Longmont who were part of the FOP over there who invited me to to entertain a thought of maybe producing a show for, um, Sergeant Chris Mann, who's now, I guess, a commander over there, I believe. Mm -hmm. And they're like, Hey, he's got to have a transplant. And uh, do you think you could maybe put a show together to see what we could do? And I know these guys like John Christ, who's now huge, Troy Walker, um, Elliot Woolsey, myself. We did this show for Schmad, and over the course of one night um, at the in Longmont, we made him over ten thousand dollars to give mm-hmm. to him to help out with Amazing. all his medical expenses. Well, word got out that I kind of did that and helped produce that because Sam and I, my buddy, yeah. we've been DJing for like twenty years yeah, since yeah. we started. I love music. Well, we had all the gear, the sound and light, so it made sense we could put these shows on. And, you know, Sam, I don't I don't talk about him too much because it doesn't really come up, but that guy is, like, probably been one of my biggest rocks and foundations over the course of the last 20 years because he's, he's not in it for the money. He's in it for the experience and doing it together, and um, and he's been really pivotal, and I, I'm giving him a shout-out. If you'll probably hear this one day, and he'll be like, man, <laughs> he won't feel any emotion at all because he's one of those kind of guys, yeah, yeah. but... Um, yeah, so that started happening, and the next thing you know, it blossomed into more shows like that. Um, it's sad to say I've had three people that I've known over the course of my career that have either had to have a liver transplant, Schmad, um, my mentor, Phil West, and then one of my good friends who I was a narc with um, at CUPD, Paul Davis, he had to have a uh, heart transplant. So I was able to utilize this skill to help raise funds for them over the course of the years. And then last year was probably one of the most um, – self-rewarding things I was able to participate in. Hallie B in Texas, Dallas-Fort Worth. Uh, little girl, she's probably like about 11 or 12 now. She had uh, diamond black fan anemia, which was like a cancer of the blood. 
and she was trying to swab everybody. And I got tied in with some of these people with humanized the badge, which I'm sure we're going to talk about, but they said, Hey man, can you come down here and help do this show? So we put a show together. I reached out to some of my, like being a commander, I reached out to some of my relationships yeah. I've had over the course of the last 40 years that I've been in this earth, 43 to be exact ladies, in case you're wondering. And I am taken. <laughs> <laughs> He's not on Bumble, ladies. Yeah, yeah I'm, not on, I'm not on Bumble in, uh, what is it, swipe left. If I was on Tinder, no, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to be on Tinder. Um, but uh, all these things start coming together, and uh, they asked me to do the show. So I got a hold of my good friend Chuck Andrews, who was one of my advisors back in the day. He's in Texas now. Through his connections, we were able to get the Texas Motor Speedway, and then we got some of these big superstars from social media, like Officer Daniels, and uh, Chelsea Lynn, also known as Trailer Trash Tammy, out of uh, California. Well, we sold like almost 600 tickets for this event in the That's Grand amazing. Ballroom. And at the end of that 26 hours, um, we ended up writing. They ended up writing her a check for just over thirty-three thousand dollars for this little girl. Dude. And we ended up finding a match. She actually found a couple matches, and she was able to have a stem cell donation. And uh, she's been doing really well, but in the last few months, she developed bone cancer. Oh. So they've had, I don't mean to get crazy, but they had to chop her leg off. Now her ankle is her knee joint. Oh. But she's fighting still. She is one of the toughest people I've ever met. This is why I'm wearing this shirt that I'm wearing right now, Cancer, cancer Warrior. Warrior. Yep. And that's because of uh, Hallie B. And um, Hallie, if you ever hear this, uh, we love you. And um, I had to wear a onesie. Um, and jump into a pool because we were raising money online. <laughs> and uh, just to go to digress for a second. So we're down there having this barbecue, and we do this live stream on Facebook, and we did it with Chelsea Lynn, and she's got this huge following. So at one point we had, like, thousands and thousands of people online following this. And uh, Officer Daniel said, if we raise five grand through donations on the um, live stream, he will put on a onesie that's got him and Cherry Trash Tammy on it, like a bathing suit onesie. <laughs> And he has to jump into the pool. So we got to five grand, like in nothing. And we surpassed five grand. And they're like, okay, what are we going to do for 10 grand? And one of the viewers is like, hey, what about that bald Mexican guy? Will he put on the onesie for 10 grand? And I'm like, hell no. So like 20 minutes later, I'm putting the onesie on because I got to put the onesie on. And uh, we're getting close. So I go, I don't even know these people, but they're hosting us at their house. Yeah. Um, for uh for the barbecue which is the day before we do the show in dallas fort worth and um so i'm in the bathroom and i'm wearing this onesie and i don't look good in the onesie right <laughs> and i gotta represent so i take the lady's hand towel that's in the bathroom and i roll it up in a ball and i put it down where my junk is because i mean i don't want to look bad in front of these people and i take another towel and i wrap it around myself and i go out there and they're like counting it down they're like nine thousand nine hundred and some and they're like get ready Vinny." and chelsea's like oh we're gonna do it oh shit and they hit 10 grand and everybody loses their mind <laughs> people are screaming everybody like there's probably like 30 people at this barbecue everybody's clapping and they're like all right let's see it and i dropped my towel and of course i got this little sponge towel down in my <laughs> junk area and i look people are dying laughing and uh i have to jump in the pool so i do it's this huge celebration and then I get out of the pool, and I'm in the corner, and they're filming me on camera. You could see this, and I'm wringing out my junk in the corner. <laughs> <'cause it's... laughs> and then here's where it goes awry. All right, I'm gonna t we're gonna we're totally digressing. This is where this is the embarrassing part. I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna start laughing. I love it. I love it. So I go back in the bathroom, and now I'm trying to towel off, 
I take this hand towel, this miniature hand towel, out of where my junk is. I wring it out thoroughly, and I put it back on the holder temporarily because in my head I'm going to take oh, it God. with. I'm going to take it. <laughs> I'm going to take it with me when I leave, and then I towel off the rest, get out of the onesie, dry off, and then I put my clothes back on, and I'm going to go walking back out there. Well, I forgot to take the damn towel off of the rack, the oh, little God. hand towel. I don't know these people. This is the first. They're big Halle B supporters. Yeah, yeah. They're on the board. The beautiful house, beautiful outdoor barbecue area. I mean, it is to the nines. It's the best. So everybody's at the show the next day. I forget about the hand towel. It doesn't even register <laughs> me that I've done a transgression. <laughs> not intentionally. Not intentionally. It was not intentionally, and I think that's the only reason I'm still alive. But we're at the Texas Motor Speedway. We're like an hour from uh, the show starting. We're in the green room and the green room is where all the comics hang out before the show. We got beer and we're hanging out and everybody's taking pictures. We even got some special VIPs coming through and uh, the lady whose house we were at the night before, she comes in and she sits right next to me. She is a Texas woman and she says, Vinny? And I go, yes, ma'am. She goes, bless your heart. (laughs) And... You may think bless your heart is a good thing. I learned that when a woman from Texas says to you, bless your heart, it does not mean that. It means basically you can go and F yourself. And so she says this to me. She's like, Vinny, I found the hand towel. And I'm like, oh, shit. I'm like, oh, my God. She's like, somebody almost scratched their face on it. What the hell? Scratching your face. Well, I don't know. I don't know what happened. It got kind of crusty afterwards or something. Oh and I'm God. like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> so what was the outcome of that? And so she lost her mind. She's like, we had to burn the damn towel, Vinny. I don't even know. <laughs> but that's apparently that was one of the towels. I mean, she didn't say this, but she made me feel like that was one of the towels. You know that you go into a restroom yeah, in a yeah. lady's house and like that's the towel that you don't touch. It's, yeah, it's just decorative. It's, it's a, a decorative, decorative towel. I took her decorative towel and I desanctified it by putting it in my junk. Yes. (laughs) And she was so mad, but she was a good sport. I think if we wouldn't have raised as much money as we had, I probably would have got shanked at some point in time. Dude. But it was, and so we're telling the story the next day and we're we're getting ready to leave after this. And I'm in this place having lunch with all these people, including officer Brandy, who's a Fort Worth uh, paramedic on their SWAT team. And, uh, I am dying laughing. It's on my Instagram. Like I am red. I'm like, I sound, if I get to laughing, it sounds like I'm a tickle me Elmo. Cause I, 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 I <laughs> like a chipmunk cross with tickle me Elmo. So I'm sorry. I just want to apologize to the Halle B representatives <laughs> in Dallas, Fort Worth for the, uh, decorative towel incident. It was not intentional. It was not intentional. Now tell us about, uh, you mentioned humanize the bad, a great, <clears throat> great, uh, foundation a great cause tell us about your work with them so humanize the badge um really i got into it through officer daniels i emailed him in uh, i don't know either 2017 or 18 early 18 and i said hey man i think this is a great organization they really try to bridge the gap between community kids uh, adults and kids and law enforcement you know to show that there's cops out there that are just human like everybody else and uh so I, one night I'm performing at Nisi's here in uh, Lafayette, Colorado, and I'm preparing to go on stage, and all of a sudden this dude's standing right in front of me, and I'm like, he's like, hey, do you know who I am? And I'm like, his face is immediately recognizable, but like I'm getting in the mode to go do, you know, performance. And he's like, uh, Officer Daniels, and I'm like, oh my god, yeah, you know, Officer Daniels, because he's this huge Mike star. Mike the cop. 
Mike DeCop, yeah, he's he's like Mike DeCop. Um, uh, those two, Officer Daniels is probably the most yeah, yeah. Um, renowned officer as far as social media when it comes to uh, the funny videos he does and yeah, bits yeah. that he does with like Hilarious. Mike DeCop. Uh, and a very, there's all these other uh, stars that he, uh, online stars that he does stuff with and collaborates. But he shows up on my show. And then after the show's over, the first show, he's like, hey, man, I'm going to introduce you to the world. Let's go outside. And he shoots this little video with me. And I'm doing all these stupid jokes in the background trying to be funny. Um, and so that kind of really started pushing my social media. And then we start hanging out. And I start talking to the he, – he was thinking that I was a good addition to humanize the badge because all their content creators are um, – so like they do sketches online and stuff. I'm a true stand-up comedian. That's where my humor comes from. I've done some videos, but really, truly, that didn't happen until after I was on Humanize the Badge. So it was for the most of 2018 into the latter part, they were kind of like filling me out. I went on a Project Human event with him in Las Vegas where we did for the uh, – help do some fundraising for the, 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 the wives of the officers who were involved at the Mandalay Bay shooting. Mm-hmm. We visited some of the young teens that were uh, incarcerated in the juvenile detention centers, a lot of them with gun charges – just to start that dialogue to show them that, you know, hey, we're just like everybody else and just try to build that relationship up. Mm-hmm. Well, after I came back from that trip, uh, we did the Halley's Heroes event. And then in late 2018, they took a vote on the board and they inducted me in. And uh, I'm the second most recent. We, uh, we were talking about earlier, Tourette's Cop is the most recent. <laughs> just name <laughs> cracked me up. <laughs> Craig is the bomb, dude. If you're ever hearing this, Craig, you're the bomb. Uh, <clears throat> I'll tell you a quick story. We were in D.C. for Police Week. And uh, I got to room with Craig in this house. We had a VRBO vacation rental by owner, and he's in the. He had to sleep in the in the living room, and he has all these ticks. He's like, <laughs> and he, and he doesn't make any sounds when he's actually sleeping. Which God, poor guy, you know. And so both Sam and I are like laying down in our rooms, and we could hear. <laughs> <laughs> and so we, I yell out because I'm I'm an asshole. You know, most cops are. We have, yeah, a, yeah, we yeah. have a bad sense of humor. I'm like, hey, can you shut up out there? What? <laughs> And so all of us were kind of giving him a hard time, but he's such a good dude, you know, and you know, cops, that's the thing about cops is like, I'm not the only person who's a comedian. Some of the best actors and some of the best comedians I've ever been around are actually the men and women that I've worked with. And there's some people, you know, who are way more witty than I am. I just rehearsed a lot. I've really had to work hard at it. There's guys like Jim Chamberlain where I work who, Dude, that guy has got to come back for everything. And they're so quick about it. They don't have to think about it. You know what I mean? So what, really quick, Vinny, I mean, what, how did you ever get past? Because you know, brother, people are so reluctant to get up in front of a group of people and to get up there and, and especially with comedy, I can't imagine, you know, I mean, I teach, you know, and I've, I'm over that nervousness, but I can't imagine getting up there and doing that's what makes you so special and other comedians too is is that you can get up there and you can do a set and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't i imagine but you keep going back and a lot of people brother you know once they get that first boo or whatever they're done man they ain't going right back up there so what keeps you going back obviously you're passionate about it yeah but how do you get up in front of people well i tell you what um i really attribute a lot i never really talk about this um so it's a kind of exclusive for you uh, you know, I lost my dad in 99, right after I became a cop. Um, my dad was, and is, and will always be the most amazing individual I've ever been able to be around. Mm-hmm. You know, um, he, you think I light up a room when I walk into a room? 
I mean, my dad, <laughs> everybody wanted to be Rudy's friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watched him um, hustle as a kid, or as a kid, as a, when I was a kid. Uh, you know, we never wanted for anything. I, I didn't grow up rich or anything like that, uh, but my dad was such a good personality. He could talk to anybody. Um, we called it all the time. Like, if we'd go to a wedding or we'd go visit the family or we'd go to any event, my mom, my brother, and I would be waiting in the car for like 15 or 20 minutes because it would take him that long to leave the room because everybody had to come up or he had to touch base sure. with everybody. Special. And he made people feel really good. And my dad, like, I'm a pain in the ass. I'm going to be honest with you. Okay? Yeah. I'm a sincere pain in the ass. Like, I got OCD. I got, I mean, I'm just like a mess sometimes. But my dad was such a genuinely good person. My brother is a lot like him. Um, just warm to the heart. Always you know, he never went to a house to visit somebody where he didn't bring something to the door. Um, you know, whether it was for his sisters or whatever, you know, bring him some bread or my aunt Alice, a six pack of Budweiser or whatever they needed. <laughs> um, he just, he was that man who just always believed in being generous. And, um, I learned a lot from him, but his personality when he walked into a room was crazy. Here, here's, here's a prime story. I, I don't think I've ever told this, um, live on a, any type of recorded format, but I'm going to tell it right now. Um, relationships, I've talked about that and how important mm-hmm. they are um, and understanding the dynamic of people and figuring out what they, what you need to tell them in order to either make them feel good. So like in, in law enforcement, I, I touched on this a little while ago, but I, I didn't fully um, expand on my thought. Cops and general are really good actors and you, I guarantee the scenario I'm going to play out for you. You have, you have lived this. <laughs> so for those of you cops listening, <clears throat> you're sitting there, you got a guy with a warrant you know he is going to jail. You know he is going to jail. I know where this is going. And they will be like, hey, man, so am I going to jail? And you're like, you know what, bro? Let me just say, let's not <laughs> – we let's cross that bridge when we get to it. And Or you're like, you know what, man? I, I don't know. I'm waiting for the confirmation to come back. And you're like, so, hey, I see you got a, uh, like a Raiders jacket. You know, you like the Raiders? I mean, like, who gives a shit about the Raiders at this point? He's like, well, just tell me, man. You're like, no, bro, listen. I don't want to lie to you, and I'm not going to tell you until we get to that exact point. But you are doing what you can. You're doing that dance to create time so that your cover can get there because yeah. you know you're going to hook them up. And you got to be resourceful sometimes because yeah, these yeah. guys are like, they're good. They're, they, they can read it. They yeah. can read it. So you got to be that. You got to be the bullshitter for the reason of protecting yourself. Yeah, yeah. And we developed those mechanisms like saying, hey, man, you know what? I'm just waiting for the confirmation. Well, shit, you've been waiting for like 45 minutes. How long are you going to need to confirm? Goddamn for? dispatch. Goddamn dispatch. Yeah, I don't know. They just told me they're holding on 911 or something. God, you know, as soon as I find out, I'll let you know. So in, in but those those things that we do, cops and uh, paramedics and everybody, we have a we have a way of getting across the message. Going back to my dad, he taught me some probably some of the most valuable lessons I ever learned. And I take this into comedy because one of the things I'm supposed to do when I'm on stage is I got to read the crowd. So mm-hmm. sometimes when I'll open up with something, it will not hit. And I'll be like, you know, maybe it's just a little past the line yeah, shift gears. And I'm really like, great. all right, yeah. but I can't stop. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I grew up doing comedy at comedy works, but comedy works is just like, it's the premier club. It's the a list club in Denver. There's two of them, but you don't get to do your new material on that stage. You should not be doing it. You come there to do your refined, tightest material. And when I was coming up in comedy, I would be performing at places like the Squires Lounge on Colfax. And while you're doing your set, people are yelling at you. They're drinking beer. It's not quiet. It's the worst possible environment to do comedy. Denver PD, I was on stage one time. They came in and they arrested somebody right in the middle of my set. (laughs) 
I mean, it, it's like, it's a legitimate thing. Anybody you ask that's old school came up in the Denver comedy scene, you'd be like, hey man, with Squires. And they'd be like, dude, that was the place where you cut your teeth. So what I learned in relationships, going back to my dad, is um, I'll never forget this. My dad would always carry cash on him, like five or 600 bucks, because he never knew when an opportunity was. He loved to buy and sell stuff. There used to be this company called the Boulder Distributing, and the guy who ran that was the guy who was the umpire for my little league at North Boulder Park growing up. And my dad walked in there one day, and he, we used to drive this big, like, van, brown van. My dad would drive, and he goes in there, and like my dad's like, hey, what do you got? Are you trying to get rid of anything? And he's like, yeah, Rudy, I got this pallet of pistachios, these three-pound bags of pistachios, red and white. And my dad's like, well, how much do you want for them? And he quotes this outlandish price, like, you know, like two or $3,000 or something like that. My dad's like, nope, I'm not doing it. <laughs> He's like, here's what I'll do. We'll take these out of here. We'll load them up for you right now in my van. Uh, I got $500 cash right now. And uh, the guy's like, Rudy, I can't do that. You know, there's no way I can do that. And I'm like, uh, yeah, Dad. That I mean, what are you going to do with all these pistachios, you know? And I'm just like, whatever. So my dad's like, well, okay, well, you you got that new merchandise coming in. If you want to let it sit here, I can tell you I can get it out of here for you right now. Otherwise, you're going to have to deal with it. So my dad's talking to him, puts him in the city. He takes out the money because he's like, Here's the money right here. Sure. Do you want it? And the guy agrees to it. <clears throat> so eventually after they haggle back and forth, he agrees to it. Now my dad's got me. I don't know. I could have been more than like 12. I'm helping him load these huge boxes. They got like 40 bags of pistachios, three pounds each, a whole pallet worth. So there's probably like 40 boxes. Mm -hmm. So do the math. 40 times 40. You got like, <laughs> I don't know, 800 bags, right? And I'm like, Dad, what are you doing? <laughs> and my dad's like, Cállate, mijo, which means shut up, son. And, <laughs> and so my mom's there. We're loading all this up. And my brother had this friend named Adam um, who was with us. And so we load up the van. We go home. I'm like, my dad just bought 800 bags of pistachios. And we're about to lose all this money. And my dad's like, will you let me worry about this? I'm the father. And I'm sure. I'm thinking to myself, what the hell's going on? So my dad's like, hey, mijo, all you were getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning. My dad doesn't even have that strong of an accent, but that's the comedy coming out of me. He's like, we're getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning on Saturday. We're going yard sailing. And I'm like, why do you call it yard sailing? It's yard sales, dad. Yard sales. <laughs> And my dad would always say, he'd be like, oh, my God, look at that yellow. Like he would say, instead of yellow, he'd be like, it's yellow. And I'm like, Dad, yellow. He's like, like I said, yellow. And, <laughs> and so um, that Saturday, he's like, look, Michael, we put all these things inside the house, the boxes. And we, uh, he goes, load up about five boxes each, white and red. And I'm like, all right, whatever, crazy man. And I'm like, what are we doing? He's like, we're going to go to all the yard sales. I'm like, great, Dad. We're not only getting, we already spent all this money. You got me a load of pistachios. <laughs> and now we're going to yard sales. And I don't even want to go and I want to go back to sleep. And I'm being a pain in my ass. And my mom's like, Miko, you shut your mouth right now. Otherwise, you're going to get it. <laughs> so we get to the first yard sale. And I, I, this is where it gets real for me because I was like, my dad, I learned some serious stuff that morning. So we're at the first yard sale. It's like five o'clock in the morning. Everybody's early in the morning. It's warm. It's summertime. He's like, Michal, throw me one of those bags. And I'm like, now you're eating the profits, which I didn't mind. <laughs> and, you know, I was helping with that part too, right? And so he takes it, he opens it, he starts walking around the yard sale. And I'm like right in tow with him. And he, he, he goes up and the people who are running the yard sale um, are like, hey, what do you got there? And he's like, oh, I got these bags of pistachios. You want? He's like, you want to try some? And they try. He gives them right away some of those pistachios. Like, oh, these are really good. And then he goes, this is where he puts the move. He's like, you know what? Here you go. Here's the here's the bag. These are for you. Enjoy them. You know, I'm glad you enjoy them. 
so now everybody else who's at this yard sale is like, oh, you said you got pistachios? He's like, yeah, I got pistachios in the van. And so he's like, get up on the van. And so he's got my brother over there. They open the back doors of the van. He's like, one for three or two for five. <laughs> and oh we're selling God. pistachios out of the back of the van um, to all these people. Now, what I didn't realize, my dad was so smart. He comped the people at the yard sale by giving them a free bag of pistachios. Oh my God. Now they can't say anything that he's taken over and bogarted their yard sure, sale sure. and he's selling pistachios. So I'm like, that's pretty good, dad. We sold probably half of that, half of those boxes before the day was over. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, dad, you still got like, you know, 35 boxes of pistachios. He's like, don't worry, mijo, just be ready to go out tonight. And I'm like, what do you mean go out tonight? So Mexican weddings, I'm not trying to get <laughs> racial here. There's a lot of people in Mexican <laughs> weddings, right? You're talking on a small wedding, it's like 200 people. You're talking a big Mexican wedding, you're talking maybe half of a thousand, you know, mm. 500. So we go to this Mexican wedding. He gets my brother, who at the time was three years younger than me, about nine. We, I was about 11 or 12, so my brother was like eight or nine at the time. His brother, his buddy Adam. And what do you drink at weddings? Beer, right? <laughs> so he's got these kids going around, pistachios, one for three, two for five. Oh, my God. And the kids, nobody could tell the kids no, yeah, right? Yeah. They're just all night going back and forth between the van. And my dad's family is part of this wedding, so yeah. that nobody's saying anything. My brother's got more money he can possibly hold, keeps coming, loading my dad up with the money. And I'm like, what is going on? So we did this for, like, the course of the next three weekends. And my dad sold every single bit. So do the math. Just cut that 400, right? Holy just to say it was 400 and just say it was five bucks at that point for two bags. Not to mention all the ones he sold for $3 each. Oh my God. He quadrupled his money. And I couldn't believe it. I was just like, his methods of doing it were a little bit, you know, weird. But he was about the relationship. So the things that I learned from that were like, my dad was like, look, man, if you take care of people, they will take care of you. Um, so that was a weird thing. But then, you know, my dad didn't have a formal education. And that taught me, like, that was the number one thing for my parents is like, you're going to go to high school and you're going to graduate. I was the first person out of my family to graduate high school. And then I was the first person to graduate college out of my family. Although it took me 20 years to finally get my college degree, I quit at CU as a senior, Boulder, to go to work at the sheriff's office. And my mom's like, Michal, we've been paying all this damn money. <laughs> and so for from 1998 until 2015, my mom was like, Michal, my beard's going to be down to here. By the time you graduate, and I'm like, oh, my God, you should probably get that cut. Um, <laughs> and, but when I graduated, she was so proud. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, my dad didn't have a formal education. But what that taught me was, like, there's no excuses. You yeah. know, y y put up or shut up. And don't be afraid to put yourself out there. Yeah. Because my dad, that's what he was doing. He was putting himself yeah. out there. The guy could have said no, but he provided an opportunity. A lot of people have told me, hey, I've asked, hey, can I get up on stage? Can I do this? Nope, sorry, we don't know who you are. Now that's changing as people can look me up real quick and be like, oh, yeah, this is Vinny. You know, he's got, he's got, he's open for all these people and all this stuff. And now doors are opening. But you have to have credibility. And the thing that my dad had with people was credibility. And just like we have to have that in law enforcement, um, it comes from developing relationships, having good deals with people, um, backing up your word when you say you're going to fulfill something. And, uh, you know, I'm trying not to get emotional about it, but my dad, I could go on and on about the mm -hmm. things I saw him do growing up. Um, but he was so generous with people. And I told you earlier before we started this, my dad would always say, you never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. Yeah, yeah. You don't take any of the stuff on this material earth with you when you die. And, uh, I live by that. Yeah. Um, I, I try to show that generosity. I try to be that kind of guy. 
um, because, you know, your time on this world is limited. And yeah. my dad, my mom would always say, you know, if you do something good for somebody, don't remember it. If somebody does something for you, never forget it. Yeah. And uh, I try to live by those things. And comedy has just been my way of, um, I talk about my mom a lot. And now I'm doing, like, I just had my special come out about a month ago, four weeks ago on Dry Bar. It's doing really well. Um, I've done all these videos that have been put out. And I'm just excited because in the last 12 months, since like August of last year, everything is just like exploding. I'm getting tons of bookings that are coming in. And I'm kind of wondering what the future holds for me. It's hard because (laughs) I've been so pigeonholed into this job that I've been doing. And not by, it's been by choice. But I'm like, man, what what am I going to do? Like, That's what I was going to ask you, brother. What's next for I don't Montez? Know, I don't know, man. I think I'm going to have to wait and see. I got some things, you know. Yeah. I kind of shared some yeah, stuff yeah, with you. Yeah, some stuff. So there's some opportunities that might come to light here. And I guess what I'm going to have to do is look back at my past. And I think my dad's going to have to guide me with it. Because the more and more I think about it, um, you know, my mom always says this. And I don't know where she gets it from. She's like, Columbus took a chance. <laughs> The weirdest saying my mom could take, and she says, Columbus took a chance. She's like, go for it, you know, and um, she's always wanted me to be stable, and I always have been stable. I've always been in this job, you know, and it's a security, you know what I mean? Like, the government check is going to be there, right? I know it. I know it. But, you know, it's one of those things where we talked a little bit before we started is, Vinny, your star is on the rise, brother. It's been there before. And the one thing I love about you, brother, I've always loved about you, is is that you always put people first, you know, and, you, you know, we can talk about servant leadership, but that's what it is, man. I mean, you're serving others. And, you know, everything you know, Vinny, I'm preaching to the choir, everything is a byproduct of giving back. So if you want material success, that'll come. You know, because you keep giving back and everything's a byproduct of giving back and being a servant. Mm-hmm. You make people laugh, you touch people. Brother, that's everything. Yeah. Uh, and like I said, I, I have no doubt. I mean, you, you are doing great things, but your star is just going to keep going up, brother. Well, I'm very uh, blessed. Um, I'm very fortunate. I feel... <clears throat> I've never felt this way before. I, I feel like I did when I first started mm-hmm. in law enforcement. Like I think this is like a new chapter. And I highly recommend that to people in law enforcement. Don't do what you always have done. You know, like I've changed every three or four years my assignment just because you get stuck in something and you don't want to become that person who's angry and retired on duty. Um, One thing I do want to say, because I say it in everything that I do, whether I'm on stage, I'll take a minute to say this, is uh, if anybody is listening to this podcast and saying to themselves that they're struggling inside with, you know, mental health Mm -hmm. issues, um, you're not alone. I'm one of those guys who's had to see those demons come out in me before. And uh, I just want you to know you're not alone. And don't be afraid to reach out because, you know, I've told people my story, that the things I've struggled with, and I'm still employed. I mean, we have to come around to say, you know, we are these cops. We've worked hard. We've We've done these things. We've seen some things that probably nobody else should ever have to see. We've heard. We've smelled. We've tasted things that you would – the average person will never experience and damage comes with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I want to just implore you and ask you from the bottom of my heart, if you're struggling, reach out to somebody you trust, um, you know, and, you know, get that out of your system. And, you know, if you need help and you're contemplating, you know, heavy thoughts, don't feel like you're alone. You mm-hmm. are not alone. I promise you. And the brothers and sisters that you work with every day, you know, they may have to take a couple hours out of their day to come be with you or let you vent, 
But I'm telling you right now, they'd much rather do that than, you know, you take your uh, own life or do something like that because it's a real thing. Um, we lose a lot of cops every year to on in the line of duty deaths. Mm-hmm. But I firmly believe that we lose way more cops by their own hand every year. And, um, you know, I could name at least a dozen over the course of my career while I've been with the sheriff's office in our own agency. And that goes back years mm-hmm. um, between Boulder and the sheriff's office. And um, I just... I'm a real big advocate for maintaining your mental health now. And just don't be afraid. And if anybody has anything to say about it, you know, um, they're probably struggling themselves if they're negative about it because cops are that way. They'll push stuff away, you know, when they're dealing with it because they want to be okay. And, you know, the ones that are hurting the most and struggling the most, it's hard for them to accept that help because we're always, we've always been the people who give the help in in the world of what we do. Yeah, and there's so much help out there. Like Vinny said, there's there's really, you know, you're the only one that's holding yourself back if you are struggling with, uh, you know, PTSD or whatever you're struggling with. There's so much resources out there, a lot more resources, Vinny, than what you and I had, you know, growing up in this profession. So just reach out. You know, there's plenty of resources out there to, to reach out to, and you can get the help you need because, like you, brother, I'm, I'm, I, don't, I you know, it just breaks my heart to see all these officers taking their own lives you know, every year. And it seems mm-hmm. like it's just going up and yep. it's unexcusable. <clears throat> right. So brother, where can people find you if they want to reach out to you? You're, you're fucking big on social media. You're uh, all over the friggin' place. What's the easiest way to find you? Everything. My handle for everything is vinnymontez.com or Vinny Montez. So Facebook is Vinny Montez, V I N N I E Montez, <laughs> Snapchat, Instagram, uh, what is the other one? T- YouTube. I actually have a TikTok account. Yes, I do. <laughs> Everything's Vinny Montez. But if you want to see everything that links to it, just go to VinnyMontez.com. I got some shows coming up at Comedy Works downtown. I want to give a shout-out to Wendy Curtis. Thank you for always giving me an opportunity to be on your stage. Um, And I just... I just want to say, uh, if if you need a laugh, hopefully I can provide it for you. My comedy is really based around what I do in law enforcement. Um, I do talk a lot about my Mexican family and um, my uh, my experiences in this job, and I think that's why I end up performing for a lot of people around the country for that kind of material because cop material is a lot different than you know just you have to be able to be relatable, and I think that's what has been a success for me is that so many men and women have done this job either retired or new. But there's something in my act I think that'll appeal to you in one way or another. Very funny. I've seen it before. Highly recommend go seeing Vinny Montez. Brother, thank you so much for coming to, to you're the first person in the new studio, dude. Just so everybody knows Vinny Montez is here. I like it. Uh, I'm in downtown Louisville and Vinny, it's such an honor, brother. It's good to see you again. I haven't seen you in a while, at least since I've retired. Uh, thank you for your service, brother. You're killing it as a law thank enforcement you. officer and as a stand up comedian, brother. Anything we can do to, to help you succeed. You're already succeeding, but anything we can do, I don't know what we can. You're killing it. You got more friggin' followers than I do. So <laughs> <laughs> keep rocking it, brother. Okay. You, you're killing it. We'll do. Thank you for having me out. All right, brother. All right. Okay. God bless. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the CJ Evolution Podcast. For more strategies for self-improvement and resources based on today's episode, be sure to head to cjevolution.com. You can also connect to Patrick directly on social media at Pat underscore Fitzgibbons with any questions, comments, or concerns. We look forward to helping you find more personal success on the next episode of the CJ Evolution Podcast.